Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Security Token Show, episode 26. My name is Kyle Sondland, and I'm joined with my co-host, Hurry Konings. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining in this week and listening. And for those of you who are new, just a friendly reminder, Kyle and I are the founders of Security Token Group. I run the consulting arm. Kyle runs Security Token Market, our media arm. And this is our podcast, where every week we like to go over the latest in the industry, from news, from trading, from new STOs, as well as covering a main topic each week to dive into some some good material. This time, this episode, we'll be covering issuance platforms, giving a full deep dive on what they do, what is their functionality, how do they differ, and you know, citing some specific use cases so we can get a better understanding. I'm really excited about this episode. It's jam-packed. We've got plenty of things to talk about. But before we get into issuance platforms, we like to get into a segment that we call the company of the week. This is something that uh, we do every week where we like to highlight the players in the space that are making the biggest moves and, and some of the most exciting plays. And this week, we have a combined company of the week between the two of us, Herwig. That is Prime Trust and Pref Logic. And so I'll get into it a little bit. PrefLogic is an issuance platform that's offering the PrefLogic securities matrix to help companies, fund managers, and issuers of all kinds to tokenize their assets. And so it seems like they're actually announcing that they will be working with the Prime Trust Treats program. And we're making both of these companies the company of the week because they announced that the Treats program is launching. And it's pretty big news because Prime Trust is considered to be one of the biggest players in the financial services industry. The company provides trustee, custody, escrow, AML, KYC, payment processing, accounting, and compliance for numerous different exchanges, crowdfunding platforms, broker-dealers, real estate syndicators, investment advisors, portals, and other fintech companies. So they work with everybody in the space. They do so much of the underlying financing for a lot of these different companies, so much so that the company actually processed over $850 million alone in 2019. And so Prime Trust announcing that their platform is going live and the bullishness on tokenized assets from their whole firm is a huge validation for the industry. And this company normally powers many other players, but now it seems to be developing an issuance platform itself for real estate specifically, as well as other assets to offer for issuers themselves. Herwig, this is a really big deal. Yeah, I think that's deservedly why we're making him the company of the week. It's always a great way to start out the show. And in this case, I have a lot of history. I, I used to run a company that I founded called Invest Ready, providing accreditation software. We used to work with Prime Trust and many of the equity crowdfunding players and clients that they service today still as well. So I'm very familiar with them. They're a very innovative platform. They've come a long way since the, the sort of the, the rise of the crowdfunding, crowdfunding industry, and they are behind the scenes of many of the most popular platforms you probably didn't even realize they were helping service. So definitely they are a huge player, Prime Trust. PrefLogic I know seems to be uh, the, the choice uh, of issuance software for Prime Trust, which is another big deal because... 
as you mentioned, this is their first issuance platform. Typically, Fund America provides solutions and services of all kinds across sort of the, the capital market spectrum, as you uh, highlighted, but they haven't necessarily done directly themselves a issuance platform of any kind. So it'll be interesting to see how the Treats platform rolls out. But simply given the stature of the company, having done billions you know, in process, uh, processing, I think for sure it's no no-brainer that they're going to make another big impact when it comes to the adoption and even uh, you know, development of the digital securities infrastructure. So without a doubt, two great companies of the week, I think, Kyle. Awesome rundown, Herwig. I think that that is totally spot on. It's exciting. It's great to see more of these infrastructure platforms because, you know, maybe, maybe the payment processing space isn't the sexiest. You don't necessarily see it from the front end, but these are the real players that are actually making this industry move forward, allowing us to build sustainable infrastructure that institutions can feel confident putting money into. Because when we're talking about hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, we need to be sure that this stuff is tried and true, that we're not going to have any issues, no glitches, anything like that. We just can't afford it when we're talking about a global financial system and assets being traded around the world. So it's great to see these big name players stepping in and fully confident. I think that the fact that they're really diving headfirst into this is incredibly exciting. Very bullish for the industry and, and looking forward to it. Given the track record of both companies, uh, I'm very excited how the, the TREATS program is going to do. So congratulations to those two. And with that, we'll move into the next segment of the show here where we cover the industry news. This, you know, this segment, if you're new, is essentially a rundown of last week's security token news and, and our, essentially our goal to keep you up to date with the latest and most important information in the space on a weekly basis. And of course, for you know, those of you who are also new listening, you can find all of the links and information we discuss on this podcast in the about description of pretty much wherever you're listening to, uh, on whichever platform you're listening to this podcast on. But you can also find it directly from the source at stomarket.com slash news. And with that, I'll kick it off, starting off with what I think is some pretty big news over here in Asia, Kyle, mm-hmm. where we have... Naokazu Takemoto, who is the Japanese Minister of State for Science and Technology Policy, who visited Manila last week to meet with Secretary Raul Lambino, who is the Administrator and CEO of the Cagayan Economic Zone Authority. Wow. Now, the two officials discussed the future of fintech businesses in both the respective countries as well as the Asian region, especially those related specifically to cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology, and, of course, security tokens. Yeet. The pair urged the Philippine Congress to write laws on security tokens, cryptocurrencies, and other financial technologies, a pattern we've seen happen across 2019 across over a dozen jurisdictions as well as something we have encouraged and discussed about the need for even here in the U.S., and mm-hmm. hopefully we see something happen there. So, of course, it makes sense that the pair want to see laws get written by the Philippine Congress, and even Minister Takemoto had the following to say. This digitalization is expected to enable people who could not participate in the investment process to make small-scale investments. STO is now becoming a worldwide funding method of financing, but the STO market in Asia, including Japan, has just begun to develop. 
Furthermore, to achieve the philosophy of enhancing financial markets and enriching the economy by using technologies to benefit the entire population. So I think this is you know a big deal to have this kind of political activism, as well as in collaboration between two different nations, not just individually within their own. Uh, you know, really sharing a mission here to, to develop the digital infrastructure across Asia. And so if we see something like Singapore, the Philippines, Japan, and probably unlikely, but still possible, where even China collaborate on a digital infrastructure together, you know, we may see them surpass U.S. and European markets when it comes to building liquidity, cross-border benefits, and, and even introducing new technical innovation. So very, very cool to see this happen. And of course, as always, simply great validation to see both politicians as well as activists within the, the, the region talk about and you know encourage security token infrastructure. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Very, very exciting. Great to see the Asian markets getting involved and, and active in the space. Moving back over to the U.S., we have the USDC, which is the stablecoin owned by Circle and Coinbase and has also been dubbed the fastest growing stablecoin of all time, temporarily breaking past the $500 million market cap recently. Wow making it the second stablecoin to ever do so after Tether. Now, the stablecoin usage is already visible across several apps in the ecosystem, including a crypto exchange, an investing and banking app, and a couple of wallet solutions. And for those of you who don't know, the two companies actually formed together a little while back to form the Center Consortium, which will start opening up to other members and essentially will help drive adoption for the USDC. Circle and Coinbase are seen as two major industry leaders, and therefore the USDC stablecoin is seen as one of the more legit and pioneering stablecoins in the space. And specifically, if you haven't gathered it from its name, it's pegged to the US dollar on a one-to-one basis. Given the, the history and the, the power of these two companies, I'm sure we can expect more announcements on some great new members and adoption in the near future, I'm sure. Yeah, there's a couple cool things about this, just, just to add on to that. One thing that I, I, I'm attracted to is that they're fully transparent. And I think that this is valuable, especially, you know, I, I don't want to, to make any claims, but there were definitely a lot of concerns over whether Tether, which is the leading stablecoin, uh, here in the in the space at this time, whether they actually had the assets that they claimed that they did, right? So they're printing out these digital dollars, essentially a stable coin, a, a, a crypto that was backed by the U.S. dollar. But there were some concerns over whether they actually had the amount of dollars in a bank account to back it to these coins, or if they were just printing these things, calling them a dollar, and and we had no idea. With this USD coin, the USDC, they actually have monthly independent um, accounting audits on their bank accounts to verify that they do have the amount in their funds that is issued for the token. So I think that's a lot of, there's a lot of great value there. Again, transparency, if you have nothing to hide, especially in finance, you absolutely should be disclosing it because it just gives everyone else that additional piece of accountability. And then on top of that, it is interesting that they, they noted in this article that Bermuda is actually going to allow citizens to pay taxes using the USDC. So this is a way, potentially another use case of smaller financial markets to be able to take a pegged U.S. currency and be able to use that in their own financial system. We see this sometimes with traditional currencies and fiat, and now it potentially is being leveraged in the digital space as well. Some interesting things here and, and very exciting stuff. And of course, stable coins, Kyle, are you know, critical often to security tokens with many seeing them as a key to being able to manage 
on-chain payments such as dividends or coupon repayments mm-hmm. and other like uh, in order to you know offer a real value to investors. And of course, those investors need to believe in the value of the U.S. dollar coin that they're getting there. And Absolutely. So that accountability that you highlighted is, I agree, critical uh, to the space and, and we'll for sure keep eyes on it uh, since Libra and many other stable coins are putting a lot of focus on the subject to, to begin with. Totally. Next up, we have some news about a massive you know, $44 billion ETF called Wisdom Tree leading a round for over $17.5 million into issue and startup security. Jonathan Steinberg, who's the Wisdom Tree founder and CEO, specifically said, our investment in security is the result of a multi-year review of blockchain technology and the associated landscape. In our review, we found instances of unnecessary applications of the technology and poor compliance with existing regulations. However, there are numerous elements of blockchain technology that, when correctly applied, will bring benefits to investors. Using the technology, we believe we have identified areas for exciting innovation within the ETF ecosystem and in financial services more broadly, all with a focus on meeting the highest standards of regulation. And Kyle, I always find it interesting, and that's why I share same with the the individual from Japan and here the the CEO of Wisdom Tree. It's always great to hear such influential people talk about this new technology and and give their their viewpoint on how they see the technology mm-hmm. being great. In this case, regarding both for ETF public exchange traded technologies as well as, uh, you know, in China, of course, in this case, or in Japan, sorry, them saying specifically they see wider access to new uh, investors, et cetera. So very, very interesting. Dan Donnie, who's the CEO of Securency, said that Wisdom Tree has a well-deserved reputation as an innovator within financial services, and they are thrilled to have them as their lead investor. Wisdom Tree has truly exciting applications for their technology, and in their partnership, they expect them to demonstrate unique features of their technology, specifically when it comes to their compliance-aware token framework and multi-ledger capabilities. Besides Wisdom Tree, other participants in the round also included the Abu Dhabi Investment Office, the Japanese financial services provider Monex Group, and venture capital firms RRE Ventures, Strawberry Creek Ventures, and Pantera Capital Investments. So congrats to the security team there on a nice big raise. I think they've raised about $15 million to date before that on top of this new $17.5 million. And it seems like they've got some great institutional investors and fresh capital here to help build out their technology platform and customer base. Definitely. They, it seemed like they, I hadn't heard much from them over the last year or two. Maybe they were building or maybe they were fundraising or whatever. So I'm excited to see what they can do with this new injection of capital. Additionally, something very small here is that Pantera Capital actually was a very active venture firm in the crypto space. So it's interesting to see that they're now looking into the security token infrastructure. If you're, if you're an infrastructure company, maybe you maybe know somebody there or, or in some of these different crypto VCs, maybe they're potentially starting to look into the security token space as well, which is fantastic news. Certainly seems like this is a more sustainable industry to be investing in moving forward. So exciting to see maybe if they continue to invest, we'll keep you updated on what the funds are, are looking for as well. That's really great to see old school Wall Street classic venture capital, as well as even crypto funds participating in this round. Definitely a uh, diverse bunch there. Next up, we have Space Fund One, which is a tokenized fund based out of Houston, Texas, 
which is focused exclusively on, you guessed it, the space sector. The company does not have their token trading yet, but according to the article on securities.io, the fund is still accepting investors and expects to trade on places like Open Finance Network. According to the fund, they are using the Abacus issuance platform out of San Francisco and the Smart Valor Network in Switzerland for further distribution. The company recently announced that they have made three investments already in their space portfolio, so it seems to be already active. The intention of the fund is to tokenize all of its investments moving forward to help space companies specifically get access to new sources of capital since the space sector is so new. As the fund or its portfolio companies get tokenized, I'm sure we will cover that information in Kyle's weekly STO segment. Absolutely. You love to see a space Outer space venture capital fund tokenizing. Hey, bring it all together. Why not? Why not, right? Next up, we have IssueFi and DigiShares announcing a partnership on the UK market. IssueFi is a leading platform to help organizations manage their investor engagement in capital market transactions and is confirming that it will join forces with DigiShares, which is a white label platform for tokenized securities. And of course, their focus is on the UK market as well as internationally. It'll be interesting to see how the two uh, end up integrating with each other. They claim to to have a very nice uh, chemistry for both their their projects with IssueFi saying that the new market of digital securities is high potential and together with DigiShares, they will offer a better end-to-end solution to allow issuers and their advisors to achieve the highest standards of information control, information structuring, analysis, and management, as well as a user experience when collaborating with their investor communities and each other to create these types of transactions. So I'm not personally familiar with issue five, but it seems to be a sort of interface and investor relations and data management tool, which will then pair with DigiShares, which is an issuance platform to help create uh, an even more stronger product to offer to clients in the UK, as well as internationally. Next up, finally, we have the, the uh, a announcement here from Polymath uh, in the last of our update segment here saying that they have integrated Scout, which is a, a company to help them derive product insights from on-chain usage to help Polymath build better, better products for their users. The company plans to use this data to track security token usage and measure it against industry theories and even forecast industry trends. And it also has made the dashboard fully accessible to the public so anyone can derive insights and don't need to guess how things are going. In particular, Polymath says the dashboard provides a window on the total number of tokens created, categorized by whether or not the token is ERC-1400 compliant, V3, not V2, and public data displayed on a per-security token basis, such as daily and weekly transaction volume, token holder growth over time, and changes in the token supply. And finally, they also mentioned the company is using, Polymath is using Scout to display data on the Polymath Network Reserve, aka Poly Tokens. And me personally, I applaud Polymath taking this move towards transparency. This is a form of community engagement that is great to create trust, insight, as well as solicit feedback. I think this is something that, you know, crypto companies as well as simply companies today need to do in an effort to be transparent, especially if they've issued security tokens or otherwise. And it certainly seems like this will make it easier to get information on on polymath issued uh, tokens, which is something, of course, we'll be looking into for security token market. 
And the article goes on to give some more good information about Polymass. So if you're not familiar with the platform, it does offer a nice primer, which is a perfect, you know, kind of segue into my next segment here, where there's been a recent string of articles giving great coverage on a lot of the platforms that are out there. Specifically, there's another third-party article that articulates all the features and services of Securitize, which really uh, very, very distinctly as well as gives background on the company, its financing, and its specific partnerships. Since it's considered one of the leading issuance platform, this is definitely a, a nice primer on their value proposition to check out. Also worth checking out is David Hamilton from Securities.io seems to be doing a little bit of series of his own, and he started with a nice primer on AlphaPoint's ecosystem, which offers both tokenization software as well as white-label exchange solutions. They're considered to have robust and tested technology by many financial institutions, so definitely another platform worth checking out. And continuing his series, David Hamilton also covers the Providence blockchain And of course, for those of you who haven't heard me discuss Figure in the past, uh, for those of you who haven't, you should know that this is definitely a company to keep an eye on. I'm a huge fan. Providence is the issuance protocol behind the massive lender called Figure. Figure originates HELOC's home equity line of credits completely on-chain. And last quarter, they actually picked up $103 million on top of its already $125 million in financing plus its access to a billion dollars in debt financing. So this protocol is absolutely worth getting to know, especially if you are a lender. And specifically, David's article gives a great primer on the ecosystem components and how specifically the Providence blockchain works. Finally, in our ecosystem series here, we have an article on Dara featured on Forbes which Dara is the issuance platform that recently, last quarter, the Swiss International Exchange invested in and will be using as their tokenization technology for the Swiss Digital Exchange. Since they've been relatively quiet until this announcement, it's worth getting to know this new player uh, um, in the Forbes feature here. And I'm going to end, Kyle, on a couple opinion articles here. Cool. Specifically, there's a great one on Decrypt that came out reviewing blockchain predictions for 2030. Now, this Mm. covers blockchain use cases across the board, but Prometheum, Securitize, and the Gibraltar Stock Exchange all were able to chime in regarding security tokens and digital security. So it's definitely on on people's radar. And if you're interested in blockchain technology as a whole, it's definitely an article worth checking out. We also have another great article offering kind of a great summary this time about Overstock and T0 uh, on Seeking Alpha. And thank you to our active community member, Jay Darenthal, for submitting this one. The article talks about why Overstock may actually be undervalued and a good buy due to the issues it suffered from its leader earlier last year, Patrick Byrne, leaving, as well as potential hype behind the Medici Ventures and T-Zero projects. We actually did a whole episode talking about the structure between Overstock, Medici Ventures, and T-Zero in episode nine. But if you don't have 45 minutes to go back and listen to that episode, definitely just check out this article because it gives a very good primer as well on how everything's related and how it impacts each other. But interestingly enough, the article didn't cover the fact that the issuance price uh, has been below trading for the T0 token since it launched. Uh, So, you know, worth, you know, that's why we have security token market to have information like this available to investors to to get a better understanding of where the price is. But overall, uh, an interesting opinion. It seems like the in this case, now Seeking Alpha, this individual thinks T0, uh, specifically Overstock, is a good buy. Check it out. Next up, I'm excited to say that there is now another STO podcast 
You should also check out in the space called STO Unplugged, which is hosted by Frank Curzio. You may recognize the name from the Curzio Equity Owners Token, which was the 10th token to launch on Securitize, which gives you exposure to Frank's financial media business. I was honored to be the very first guest on his show, launching uh, specifically for security tokens. He's done many, many podcasts. I think he's been podcasting for over a decade. So he's definitely one of the originals. So to, to be the very first guest on his show, STO Unplugged, is awesome. If you want to check out that interview, of course, go go have a listen. It's a great episode. I listened to the whole thing. Loved it. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate that. And I'm sure Frank appreciates hearing that as well. And last but not least, to end my segment here on news, we ourselves as Security Token Advisors, we do a quarterly report tracking all the activity in the security token infrastructure space when it comes to investments, acquisitions, uh, and the like. So the Q4 report recently came out. Over $125 million was raised. This was the, the largest quarter on record. But of course, a lion's share of that went to figure. Uh, but many other notable names did make the list. And of course, check out the full report and give us your feedback and information. You can uh, check it out, all of everything that I talked about again in the description. Or you can also find this at our Security Token Group blog on Medium. What a week of news, Herwig. That was a great rundown. I can't say it enough. Check out the description. Check out stomarket.com slash news. Check Read out all these articles. Any of the, the overview articles on, on some of these companies in the space. Definitely a good primer for our main topic later as we get into the actual nitty-gritty of issuance platforms, many of which we named in the news today. But before we do get to that segment, we do have our STO update segment as well as our market update from Kyle here. So without further ado, give us the latest. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle your seatbelts because... I've got a full unpacking rundown. The saga may be completed. And I say may because it's been quite a saga. And of course, the saga that I'm referencing is Spencer Dinwiddie's security token. Uh, My company of the week in episode 15. Episode 15. We were psyched, okay? Spencer Dinwiddie, if you don't know, is an NBA basketball player who wanted to tokenize 40% of his contract. And... Let's just say that the NBA pushed back a little bit and we didn't hear a lot for a couple months. We, we heard some rumors and things. We have full clarity and I'm going to give you the full rundown so that we can, everybody can have set the record straight on, on what happened here. So there was a ton of hype for this thing and it was originally announced months ago. And what we're talking about is the Spencer Dinwiddie SD8 token. And so Spencer Dinwiddie, as I said, is an NBA player for the Brooklyn Nets. And currently, he's on a three-year, $34.4 million contract. And in his contract, he had the option to renegotiate after the second year instead of playing the full contract through to maturity. So that's known as a player option. So what we're doing here is we're just outlining the contract. The contract, $34 million across three years. After two years, he had the option of either renegotiating the contract with any team or sticking it out for that third year of, of his, I think it was $12 million that he's owed in the third year. So that's his contract. And what he wanted to do was allow investors to buy 40% of his $34.5 million contract. And in return, they'd be given a fixed interest rate, as well as performance incentives in his contract, such as playoff success, stat averages, and more. And so that was nice. And that sounds like a, an interesting offering. 
NBA contracts are fully guaranteed despite injury. So this was kind of like a risk-free bond, essentially. You could invest in in him. And you'd also maybe get some performance incentives if he made the playoffs or the all-star game or a few other incentives like that. But the real profit for investors, as he had originally planned it, was around this player option that I had mentioned. And so with this player option, what happened was he wanted to offer investors the ability to get exposure to his new contract in two years if he was able to renegotiate. So Spencer was essentially saying, okay, I'll pay you 3 to 4% in fixed interest rate. And after two years, if I can renegotiate for, let's say, a $100 million contract, you then get the proportional exposure to that of the amount of token that you had invested. So you own 40% at $34 million. You also would own 40% of $100 million if he makes a $100 million contract. So there was this huge opportunity for upside for investors if he was able to successfully improve his play and get a contract. He's a young player, so it was kind of this idea that he's been overlooked in X, Y, and Z. Very little downside, but good upside. Exactly. It's completely guaranteed. So at the very least, you're getting your, your couple percent in fixed interest rate, and at the very best, you're potentially exposed to something even better than that. And so... At this point, unfortunately, the NBA stepped in. They hired a very expensive law firm and wanted to fight the product. As we reported on, on the, you know, when it was used company of the week, the NBA was originally seeking to shut down the full offering altogether. And they were, they were claiming that Dinwiddie couldn't reassign his contract rights to a third party. We had discussed this before. They had essentially said, look, Spencer, you can't say that other people are entitled to your contract. He essentially came back and said, look, I'm getting paid. I can spend my money however I want. You don't have grounds for that, which is fine. But the NBA did have a, a main sticking point with that player option in the third year, claiming that it resembled gambling, right? What if a different player purchased these tokens and had an interest in seeing Dinwiddie succeed? And what if, what if the token was trading at below market prices and Spencer buys some and now has some interest in – he's got economic interest in – it was weird – a lot of these, these kinds of claims seem to fall under the current NBA guidelines around not allowing for gambling. Like, I don't know why this specific token has any new opportunity for gambling. That being said, the NBA did try to shut this thing down. They persisted, threatening to even void Dinwiddie's contract and ban him from the NBA if, uh, if he proceeded under the current structure. So this is where we were left in the dark, was that... that the NBA wasn't happy about it. Dinwiddie wanted to move forward with it anyway. According to Dinwiddie, he maintained a strong conversation with the NBA, including multiple in-person meetings and phone calls, and the two parties have reached a compromise. So according to The Block and a few other news sources, the Dinwiddie token will be structured as a traditional bond with a few less bells and whistles, um, including the fact that the NBA was not flexible on that player action, uh, player option rather. But they are allowing him to proceed with the financial bond structuring. So the terms of the deal are going to look as following. It goes live today, January 13th, or the podcast comes out on Tuesday. So it will be live when this podcast goes live for the next month until February 10th. The, the structure looks like as followed. So he's selling $13.5 million worth of a tokenized bond under a Reg D506C, which is the traditional exemption that's used by most security tokens that requires accredited investor participation, but allows him to market and advertise this offering to the general public as much as he wants. There's a fixed supply of 90 tokens, and he's selling them for $150,000 each. 
So it does not appear that you're going to be able to buy fractionalized ownership of these things. You really just, you're a token holder if you own a token, or potentially you can buy more than one, but you can only buy them in whole numbers, 13.5 million, 90 times 150K. The token launches today, Monday, January 13th, and will end on February 10th. And the plan is to return investors 4.9% 4.95% interest rate paid monthly with the full principal return to the maturity of the contract. So this is a very standard bond. You're talking about monthly coupon payments. It's a it's an annualized return of, of just under 5%. Um, and as I said, this contract is fully guaranteed even with injury. So provided that he doesn't gamble or do something to void his contract, these returns will be paid to investors. And when you look at the current three-year treasury bill rate, which is a three-year treasury bill is just the government bond. That's traditionally what you'd use as a risk-free determination of an asset. The three-year risk-free rate essentially is 1.59% currently on, according to the yield curve. So when you're talking about a incredibly low risk as this NBA contract is um, instrument, you're talking about almost 3.5% better of a, a fixed interest rate than what you're seeing in traditional uh, government bonds. So that's very interesting. It starts to make it seem like a very interesting opportunity to diversify your traditional holdings. The token will be issued via securitized issuance platform. And we had heard news that some of these tokens have been privately reserved or, or there is a lot of interest. So I'm not sure of the extent of the public sale. But if you're interested, you definitely need to look into it quickly. Spencer Dinwiddie did mention that if he's selected to the NBA All-Star Game, he's going to be bringing eight investors of the token with him to experience the events live. So there's a, there's some interesting pieces there as well. If you're interested, if you want to see more, look it up, dreamfanshares.com, dream, D-R-E-A-M, fanshares.com for more details. But, Herwig, the saga has been concluded. He's public with it. He's got the support of the NBA. We've got our 5% interest rate. How are you feeling about it? I love it, love it, love it, Kyle. You know, we, this has obviously been a, a bit of a public battle, but honestly, I, I'm all for it because the tension between the NBA and Spencer Dinwiddie, although definitely not uh, very welcomed per se, brought a lot of attention to the concept and to the product itself. So I, I think that kind of attention is what helps security tokens and the like go mainstream. And as we also acknowledge, not only did they win Company of the Week, but they inspired a whole topic for an episode of sports finance. We're introducing an entirely new model of um, products uh, to market. And as you just pointed out, can be akin to a treasury bill. Now, most average people aren't buying treasury bills. When you're an institution, a wealth manager, a family office, or an individual that's exposed to an opportunity like this, this can now become a new product that can be put in your portfolio that's diverse, that now has upside, that is even better priced than a treasury bill. So a very whole new world can be opened up. So with all that, you know, I love Spencer Dinwiddie and what he's doing. He's a real pioneer when it comes to this space. And I'm so, so excited for this token to go live as well as seeing future athletes leverage the, this very same platform and do the same thing. It's a great point. He's been very outspoken that he d- his plan is not only to tokenize his own contract, but he's built this dream fan shares platform so that he may tokenize other athletes, not only in the NBA, but in other sports, 
We also, he's mentioned maybe entertainers and things like that. So it's very exciting. He's, he's taken the steps to do this properly. He's been mature about the whole process. And he won against the NBA. The NBA wanted to immediately step in and say no. And he had done his homework. He had been prepared. And he launched a great product. That 5% is, is, is great. As you said, it's, it's a way to de-risk a portfolio while still keeping that expected return high. It's, an ex- it's a very interesting diversification method, and I'm expecting to see more of these going live, maybe for next season. If you want to dive into more about t- tokenized sports contrast, t- contracts, even teams and other uh, examples of sports finance, check out episode 12 of the Security Token Show. Definitely check that out. Moving forward, we do have another live security token. This one is from the Realty platform. This is the a real estate property. It's 5942 Audubon Road in Detroit, Michigan. It's a single family household. It's 2,571 square foot. And it's been completely rehabilitated and, and is now renting in 2019. And so, as we've talked about with the Realty platform before, they, they have currently been tokenizing real estate properties. This is their third property. And it's currently valued at $58,300 and is renting for $9,000 per year. And so the fixed supply of security tokens is going to be $750 for this property. And so that means that the property is owned by the $750 security token holders. Those are the only owners of this property and they are owning one seven hundred fiftieth of the property each. And each token is selling for around $77. And so the property, what essentially what they're doing is, is returning your rental income to the shareholders. So the, the rental income is $9,000 a year. Then that will be divided by $750 and paid back to investors, which is about $8.39 per token per year, which results in a 10.8% interest rate per year. So I mean, that's a really strong return. You're looking at, if you can get double digits in return on an investment, that's very successful over a year. Real estate properties we know are, are often a, a, a very highly valued investment. Many consider it to be safer than, than traditional other means. And so you essentially get to buy a share of this home and then get the, the returning rental income year over year at a 10.8% interest rate, which is very exciting. It's an interesting property. You definitely can go check out more information on what that property looks like. And uh, included in that is the insurance and the property tax. Everything's paid. You just own it and you get your, your rental income. So it's very exciting. They do seem to work with Uniswap, the exchange, to trade these things. So I uh, look forward to seeing that trading on Uniswap soon. You can find more info on the Audubon Street property as well as their other properties that we will discuss later at realty.co. Moving forward into the market update, if, unless you had anything to say there. No, I just want to say I love what Realty is doing, tokenizing all these Detroit properties. You can now become sort of a mini digital slumlord or landowner. <laughs> Uh, in Detroit here through the Realty platform. And like you said, it's very cool to be able to offer high-yield products like this to the market. Just more signs to come for 2020 uh, when it comes to real estate tokenization is going to be a, a hot, hot thing. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the high return, high-yield investments in, in properties is a fantastic opportunity. I mean, this thing that you can buy a share for $77. So this is, this is really democratizing that that whole industry of, of renting homes and, and, and allows anybody to get exposure 
On top of that, they pay daily dividends. So every morning you wake up and you've got your rent income for the day. Very, very interesting strategy. And uh, it's exciting. Very cool. So going into the secondary market, our total security token market cap is actually up a large amount this week. We're up 27%, up to 73.4 million, up from 58 million last week. And primarily the driver for this shouldn't come as a shock to our daily listener or weekly listeners, but T0 is up 30% from last week. So it's sitting at $1.55 or so in that range heading into this week of trading. And so it's had a really strong, another strong week for T0, another strong week for, for the security token market cap. And the dollar volumes have maintained their consistent levels of four to $6,000 USD. So they seem to be having strong volume, still consistent volume, and the price is going up. So people are more and more confident in the T0 exchange day by day, which is good to see. Hopefully we see some great news coming from them. From the open finance tokens, unfortunately, we do not see a ton of volume over the last week. There hasn't been much in the way of that to report, but we do have a new token. So it's exciting to to mention, as I say in every episode, all of these pricing, if you want to see the real real pricing of all of these live security tokens, check out stomarket.com on the homepage. We've got all of them. We actually have now added two new tokens. I gave you a little hint about it earlier, but they are both Uniswap tokens, both issued from Realty, the issuance platform. And Uniswap now has launched the second Realty property onto their exchange, and we now have both of them on Security Token Market. The first one is a single home property, 9943 Marlowe Street in Detroit. It's a similar property to the one that we had just discussed earlier. And, uh, and so that one's paying, I think, about a 12% interest rate. And then on top of that, we also have a 15-unit 15, 15 apartment complex at Fullerton Avenue that's also now trading its security token through the Uniswap exchange. The Marlowe Street one is trading at 70 bucks. I think it's actually up 13% in the last three months from when it initially launched to, when, to, to today. The Fullerton Ave property is up, I think, 3 or 4% at this point, but it just recently went live. So very exciting to watch. Again, these are properties that pay daily dividends, that pay double digits in returns for their investors. And uh, it's very exciting. We're seeing some serious moves. So now we have, what, eight live security tokens across three different exchanges. We're starting to see that number increase. We've got a lot of great issuers that have been in the works over the last year that are going to be going live soon. A lot of issuance platforms that have raised a lot of great money are working with a lot of great talent. Everything's very exciting there. We're seeing a a strong, strong momentum moving into 2020, and uh, I couldn't be more excited. I'm ecstatic, Kyle. It's exciting to see the, the space is really starting to heat up, and we hope to track it all with STO Market. Absolutely. And without further ado, Herwig... I think it's time for our main topic, where we'll be detailing issuance platforms. Yeah, it's a, obviously a pretty critical component to the industry, right? Uh, the, it's something that we, even though we've had 25 episodes in the past, have yet to really do a deep dive into. So we felt it only fair and useful for all of you listening to, to get more of a deep dive into the subject uh, specifically, Kyle, maybe you can give us a little bit of an overview of what do issuance platforms do? Absolutely. These platforms are responsible for actually tokenizing the assets and securities. And so many 
people call this process or they're akin to calling it securitizing an asset, which is where we get the names for issuance platforms like Securitize or Securency, which we mentioned in this episode with their fundraise. When in reality, what you're doing is actually just creating a digital wrapper for your securities. In fact, issuance platforms are not typically responsible for actually structuring the investment itself, but specifically they're, they're the technology provider for the digitalization of the investment, which could be a company's shares, a fund's limited partner's interests, a special purpose vehicle, or really anything else that could be considered a security. And in some of those cases, sometimes a special investment structure is required to make that asset actually investable for investors. For example, you might have assigning the ownership of a car to an entity that will then tokenize the ownership in the entity to represent the ownership in the car. This is something that we've even seen with the Realty platform as they tokenize an LLC that actually owns the home, and then you own shares of the LLC, and that's kind of how they do the pass-through. There's exactly. a lot of examples in, of that. In, in fact, this is something that I'm glad you brought up, Kyle, because this is where a company like Security Token Advisors is often enlisted to help figure out the structure right. before you even tokenize. And as you just highlighted, I, I think with Realty as a great example, in some cases, you may be required to use their specific investment structure, but really, it really doesn't come down to the, the investment. It's, it's about the tokenization. Absolutely. And so that's the role that the, the issuance platform plays. But in terms of the technology that they provide, they, they use technology to create a token representation of a specific security or the smart contract specifically that operates the token. So there's a couple pieces there. The tokens also need to be issued to a wallet. So the issuance platform will help with, with not only issuing the token, but then setting up the wallet and, and maintaining that, that investor platform. And in order to facilitate that, you also do need compliance technology as well in terms of working with different jurisdictions, onboarding investors from potentially all around the world. And the next thing you know, you essentially have a digital deal room for investors. So the platform usually offers some kind of crowdfunding tool or technology on top that allows you to onboard those investors. And then finally, for post-issuance, the issuer needs to manage the tokens, which is typically done by an exclusive software that's created by that issuance platform. And sometimes they can also handle some of those voting or dividend issuance, those kinds of pieces as well. And so now that we've kind of run down essentially the, the basics of what an issuance platform does, I, I want to ask you, uh, what, what are, how do they differ? What's the difference between a lot of these different pieces? If, if they all do the same thing, let's dive in a little bit on that. Yeah, for sure. You know, the, the first example, and you really rooted it down to, you know, what is a, an issuance platform does at its core is they tokenize, right? So if you're going to tokenize something at the, the core of it, you're going to need a blockchain or a distributed ledger technology. And so in this case, oftentimes the, the blockchain technology that you use determines a lot of the factors, for example, the smart contract languages and the capabilities that they offer, transaction speeds and time, the infrastructure risk or transparency and privacy issues because you're either using a public or a private blockchain uh, and, and there's actually, uh, from an other end of the spectrum, a tokenization platform, as you pointed out, uses smart contracts to do the actual tokenization, but they also have technology to help you know, issue those tokens. So in some cases, on the other side of the spectrum, you have issuance platforms that can support multiple blockchains and multiple uh, smart contract solutions to help issuers tokenize their assets in different ways. So 
I think whether, you know, to give you some examples, uh, you have Ethereum, Stellar, and Tezos, you know, as public blockchains where you can actually natively issue your own tokens on. So if you happen to know how to program on these blockchains, you, you can take advantage of uh, pre-written libraries and issue your own tokens. But at the end of the day, it's going to be an issuance platform that has likely developed a platform on top to make it easier for an issuer who most likely doesn't know anything about the blockchain, let alone how to program on it, and doesn't have the time or investment to go out and build out an entire technology solution to tokenize and manage that token uh, once it's issued moving forward. So, you know, we do also have private examples like Hyperledger and Cortazar 3 of private blockchains, which in turn could offer you potentially more flexibility and privacy. Uh, and so you have kind of this ongoing debate just right there dividing up issuance platforms. But even if you can choose uh, a, pro a blockchain uh, ledger, which in this case Ethereum is the most commonly used blockchain protocol to, to do issue security tokens on, you still need to develop those smart contracts that represent the tokenization as well as the different rules that are written into it. This goes from both functionality as well as you know, following regulations, doing transfer restrictions, making sure a wallet has been verified for their identity and, and uh, is compliant, if you will. Uh, and these protocols also can vary based on the jurisdiction and the like. So we have examples where we see, you know, U.S.-based protocols like the DSO protocol and ST20. Uh, then you also have, for example, the T-Rex protocol by Tokeny focused on Europe. And then you have the, the C-Shares and Dharma. But you also have ERC-1404, which is sort of these, this standard open source example. So you not only do you, can you approach Kyle differently between the blockchain ledger technology, but it's also the software, if you will, the, the smart contracts that are developed on top that are critical to representing the actual tokenization of the asset. And as we have just discussed, the jurisdiction in itself will have an impact. And what we see a lot of the time is issuance platforms tend to either focus on the, the region that they're located in, the jurisdiction that they're locating, and making sure that they can issue securities compliantly where they operate, or they tend to focus on the U.S. because the U.S. is the most robust financial market, and it does enable access to global investors as well. So you can, you, you can issue both to U.S. investors as well as globally without necessarily having to be a U.S.-based company. Right. The features, finally, Kyle, are, are, of course, also super important. You know, issuance platforms can focus on different asset classes, and therefore they might have different functionality, many standardized things like voting and on-chain payments, mm -hmm. but others may focus more closely on the transactions, which may include debt and equity, or even, for example, there is a, an issuance platform out in the Middle East focused on making sure that the, the tokens and bonds they issue are compliant with Sharia law so that Middle Eastern investors can actually uh, participate in it based on their criteria, right? So this is a unique example. And then we have, of course, the user experience, the classic sort of how do I manage and the ease of use of the software is, of course, going to make an impact when it comes to if you take a, an issuance platform with the same blockchain using the same smart contract protocol focused on the same jurisdiction, they still may very well differ dramatically in how easy it is to use their product or 
simply in their price or their business model. One may be a subscription, one may be a, an upfront fee, one may be free. You know, they, they all vary dramatically across the board and therefore that is definitely an impact. But the last thing that I think makes the most impact on an issuer when it comes to considering what an issuance platform is and, and which one should I choose as they, of course, consider the liquidity support. Many choose tokenization as a way to make it easier to manage and transfer uh, the asset over time in order to create liquidity and a marketplace around it. Uh, and therefore, of course, where liquidity is supported for these tokens is, is also extremely important. For, uh, the best way, typically, the way this is looked at, to, to look at some context, is if you look at a protocol, where are tokens that have been issued on that protocol currently trading? In this case, Securitize is one of the, the leading players, uh, and they issue, for example, all of the tokens that are currently trading on OFN, but have partnerships announced with many other marketplaces, and therefore you might presume that Securitize may have a better liquidity support because they're already trading tokens on third-party marketplaces. But really what we're talking about is exchanges having to basically vet the smart contracts behind the token, making sure that the, the token uh, technology itself can work with the exchange's technology. And once that sort of has been gone through and approved, it makes it easier to uh, onboard future tokens from that protocol. So you can imagine right now there are dozens of different of these smart contract protocols in the market today, but there are only so many exchanges and they only have so many resources to support onboarding tokens. In fact, some cases tokens may not even be using a, a public protocol. They may have self developed and custom coded the smart contract. And of course, this in itself takes time for the exchange to then onboard and vet whether they can compliantly uh, list the token. And so, of course, all of that differs based on the issuers as well. So to wrap all this up, I think that we both made a, uh, some specific examples that are going to be interesting to compare um, just for brevity's sake. And so so I have two here that I think are interesting to compare back to back. And these are two issuance platforms that, that did launch pretty early. And they're both leveraging tokens, native utility tokens in their systems in order to facilitate issuance. And so by, by, before we even dig into it, the first thing I want to say is that these are certainly not all of the issuance platforms. There are hundreds of them around the world. These are, these are just some interesting examples that we're, we're picking here to use. Certainly don't take this as guide of whether who you should use or who you shouldn't use. That obviously needs to come down to you and your personal asset decision making. We certainly also have security token advisors that helps a lot with, with figuring out what, what's the, the, the best platform to use. But first off, I'm going to compare Polymath and Ravencoin. And so when we're looking at a company like Polymath, they are leveraging their own security token standard, the ST20 and offering compliance compatibility with the Ethereum blockchain. But it's a centralized company. So Polymath, they, they launched an ICO, they raised a lot of capital, and they've built their issuance platform behind that. And they're continuously upgrading on that, both with their compliance protocol as well as with their investor passport and, and, and trying to improve on the UX. They do use their, their Poly token, P-O-L-Y token, that is native with their platform in order to power the issuance itself. So that pays for a lot of the fees, and that also allows for, for transfer and payment across borders and things like that. 
when we're comparing that to Ravencoin, you have the, the Raven platform, the, the RVN token as well. Unlike Polymath, Ravencoin is, is an issuance platform, but it's a much more open source protocol. And so with an open source protocol, one that's, that's decentralized, if you will, they need that utility token in order to cover the fees associated because there is no centralized party that's actually you know, profiting and powering this thing. So it's a very interesting comparison between something like a Polymath that's very centralized and Ravencoin, where it's supported by a very strong developer community that works together to build this network, and but it doesn't necessarily have that centralized presence to drive the network forward that something like a Polymath does. So um, in terms of comparing those two, it, it is very interesting to see two different issues platforms leveraging a token, but in, in, in slightly different ways. And I think that's a, a great example because that those two are examples of protocols that use a another token, a different token, in this case a utility token, to function. We have other examples like the DS20 by Securitize uh, that basically uh, can function without necessarily relying on a third-party utility token and just uses Ethereum's gas to, to function the network and they charge their fees privately, directly through the company, much like you would interact with a software as a service platform as opposed to directly going and programming on uh, ST20 or on the Ravencoin network. And I think another example that, that is worth looking at is then you have something like Vertala, which doesn't necessarily have its own token protocol, but its issuance platform is designed to support multiple uh, issuance use cases and therefore could be seen as more flexible and scalable and gives control to the customer in terms of who they want to use. And whereas some of these other companies, another example being Harbor, they have their R token protocol, but they also have a broker dealer. They have a, a platform designed all around this to be designed as an end to end solution. So you can just go to them and get full service across the board. T0 and many others are also structured like this. Uh, and I think finally, another great example to share with everybody that I think is very unique is, and it was covered in the Harvard Business Review, but it's the, the two token structure, waterfall structure by Fluidity, which is another issuance platform. And they enable essentially creating a, a protocol that allows you to issue debt, but it's collateralized by equity that is also tokenized. So in the case of a default, programmatically, the investors will retain ownership of the equity. Wow. And, you know, that's a major use case because, of course, when that usually happens, you have a lot of lawsuits flying left and right. You may have the, the issuer or the developer reluctant to, to immediately hand over equity. So now, freely from an investment risk perspective and the like, you, know, you can now control it a lot more and, and make it a lot safer for investors. So it's examples like this that I think we're going to see niche use cases. We're going to see issuance platforms that are really across the board and focus on price and, and um, feature. And then we have jurisdictional focuses and, and even the technology of the blockchain behind it that may have a, a radical impact. Uh, on you know what ends up being successful. But you can see that even though everybody has the same value proposition, there are really a thousand different ways to go about it. And we expect the, the market to continue to see even more new entrants and for these companies to evolve as, as the market gets more competitive. And on that note, I think we've covered a lot about what an issuance platform does, some examples of unique 
issuance platforms that are that are doing things differently from each other, some fun examples. And we really covered a ton of news this week, Herwig. I think it's been an awesome episode, and I think we can call it a wrap there. Let's call it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you again next week. <laughs>